Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2, and more particularly at verse 42. This is a passage that we often refer to and describes the life of the first century church, the prototypical church. These were the very, very first Christians right after the day of Pentecost. As I said a moment ago, the it's a season of Christmas, and for most everybody, it's a season of giving. We, we are constantly besieged by commercials and the commercialism and giving of gifts and such. I thought it appropriate to talk about the giving with respect to our Christian responsibility. If you look at your notes, I've, I've given you three verses, and these three verses all have some things in common. One, one thing in particular... And I want to have us read those verses and then find the conclusion. What, what's common about these verses? In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter writes to us, <clears throat> Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is it's not a suggestion. It's written in the mood of command in the uh, Greek text in which the New Testament is written. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The implication when I read that is I have to ask myself, am I growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? If I'm not growing, then two things are possible. Either I am not a Christian, or number two, I'm a disobedient Christian. Is it imperative for us to grow? You have to ask yourself, am I growing? What does it mean to grow in the grace? I'm becoming a more gracious person. What does it uh, mean to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior? I'm becoming more like Him. Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Similarly, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes this. Until we all reach... In other context, he's talking about uh, the body of Christ and, and how Christ has given gifts to the church... And he names those gifts as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They've been given to the church as gifts for the building up of the church for works of service. Now, then he comes and he says, until we all reach, what? Unity in the faith. In other words, we're all in agreement. We're moving in concert with one another. We're in unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and that we become, what's the next word? Mature. The implication, again, is growing more like Jesus, maturing into the likeness of Jesus. This is God's great purpose for us. It's summed up in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And again, Paul writes in that great passage in Romans chapter 8, we looked at some of it last week, how verse 28, God is working, isn't he? He's working all things together for our good, is he not? And he says that His purpose for us is to make us or, 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 or form us or fashion us or transform us into the likeness of His Son. This is what God is doing. So the implication of those three verses, I want to suggest to you, is growth, spiritual growth, maturity, becoming Christ-like. And that's really the, the object of our life. Am I becoming more Christ-like? Am I not just become, I'm not becoming more religious, it's not what we're talking about. We're not becoming legalists. We're not becoming rigid moralists. We're becoming Christ-like. And that's a function of God at work in our life and us also participating with Him in what He is doing. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Philippians that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is at work in us so that we can will and do what His good pleasure is. So there's a divine human partnership, if you will, in terms of living this life. We're not working for our salvation. You can't get into heaven by being a good person. You are saved by grace through faith, simply as a gift from God. And and, and you humbly receive it by faith. Now, once you become a believer... The challenge is now, okay, what's God's purpose? Why did He save me? Why am I a Christian? Why do I come to church? Why do I do any of these things? Because they're all necessary for me to work out my salvation that I become more and more like who? Christ. More and more like Jesus. 
So every day we have to ask ourselves, every week we have to ask ourselves, am I becoming more like Jesus? Or am I my same old nasty, crabby self? Somebody asked my wife the other day, she said, do you wake up crabby in the morning? She says, no, I let him sleep. If we are to grow in grace, if we are to reach unity in the faith and become mature, if we are to be conformed to the image and to the likeness of Jesus, then some things are necessary. Some fairly clear necessary things for our life. You have to cultivate some habits. Very, very important habits. Now, I'm not going to tell you anything new this morning. I just want to tell you some familiar things, but recontextualize them for you. If I, in fact, am to grow and become more like Christ, five very, very important habits are necessary. How many would like to be more like Jesus? How many think more Christians ought to be like Jesus? All right, now you, these, these five uh, habits are absolutely necessary for your life and for the life of those that we're going to make disciples. Number one, you ready? Bible study. Bible study. That's number one. You can't diminish Bible study. And I'm saying Bible study as opposed to simply Bible reading. Most all of us read the Bible. Some sporadically, some consistently, maybe some not at all. But I'm not talking about just simply reading the Bible. I'm talking about studying the Bible. What is it really saying? What is it really meaning? When you study it, when you memorize it, that becomes yours. Most of the time when we read the Bible, quite frankly, we forget what we just read. Is that true? Are you like me? I read it, and I read it, and I go, now what did I just read? What, did you, what, is, what is God saying to me? And I have to reread it, and reread it, and reread it. However, when I study, when I, when I set aside time to sit down and actually study the Bible, maybe I fixate on a word, and I want to find out where else that word is in the New Testament or the Old Testament. I fixate on a concept, on an idea, on a thought. And I want to follow that trailhead. You don't need a lot of, 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 of seminary education. You don't need Greek and, and Hebrew language background. All you need is a Bible with a good concordance, and you can do a word study. A lot of times when I prepare a sermon, I'll, do, I'll just use my concordance in the back of my Bible. I look up a word that is in the text, and I'll find out where else that word is. And I'll look and see, and God just leads me to study, and I gain a greater depth of understanding of that word and, and what that word means and how it's applied. It's not rocket science. Every Christian can do it. If you are born again, you have the Spirit of God living in you, and He will witness to you, and He will teach you. That's what John tells us. But you have to apply yourself to study the Bible. Now look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This verse tells us that these first Christians, they were devoted to a number of things. The very first thing they were devoted to was what? The apostles' teaching. They were devoted to it. It doesn't just say they sat and listened to it. They just didn't sit and listen to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to it. They were invested in it. I want to suggest to you that that's the equivalent of what I'm talking about in terms of studying. Now, the apostles' teaching, we did, they didn't have the New Testament form like you and I have. But the apostles taught them the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And in so doing, now the New Testament was being formed. All of Jesus' words and teachings were rehearsed to them. And they studied these things. They meditated. They didn't have fully formed Bibles like you and I do. And so they studied, they meditated, they memorized these things. Jesus said to himself in, in John's Gospel in chapter 8, he said, if you hold to my teaching, 
Now, I'm not going to hold to his teaching unless I know his teaching, unless it becomes part of me. I was thinking the other day, just, just reflecting on this in my own life. You know, after you've been a Christian for 30 plus years, you, you know, you, 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 you kind of take some things for granted. You almost don't think twice about them. But I was reflecting on what Jesus has taught me and how he's formed me and how he's shaped me and what he's done in my life. And I, I began to see and realize things that I, I had just kind of just taken for granted in my life. If you hold to my teaching, he says something will happen. What will happen? We will what? Know what? The truth. How many many want to know what the truth is? I mean, there's so much prevarication, so much bologna sauce being thrown around today. Isn't that true? Don't we want to know the truth? We We tell people, just tell me the truth. Just tell me the truth. Don't dance around the issue. Get, give me the truth. We're not going to know the truth unless we know this word. That's where Bible study is so critical. You can't know the Bible if you just simply read it. I'm not saying I'm not diminishing reading it. I'm saying read it, but beyond that, study it. Parents, read it and study it with your kids. Because you want them to grow up knowing the truth, don't you? Presumably. He says that if you know the truth, you will be what? Set free. The truth will set you free. Oh, yes. I see clearly now. Bible study. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.16. I love this verse. He says, and again, this is in the mood of command. It doesn't necessarily come across that clearly in the English translation, but in the Greek, it's in the mood of command. And he says, he says to us, let the word of Christ dwell in you, how? Richly. So again, just reflexively ask yourself, does the word of Christ dwell in me richly? Do I know baseball scores and football scores better than I know the word of God? Do I say, well, it's in the Bible someplace. But I know where the sports section is. You don't understand what I'm saying? What's the most important thing we can do? Know God's Word. Now, I know you you agree with me, right? You have to, because you're sitting in church and you have to nod yes. So ask yourself, again, this this rhetorical, reflexive question, how is my Bible study? How is my Bible study? Do I have a plan? Am I studying the Bible? Or am I using my time doing other things and ignoring studying the Bible? How many have discovered that when you actually sit down and and begin to study it, it it just engrosses you? Yeah, it just engrossed. You just wow, whoa, and you know, and you just went up and I gotta tell you what I learned, what I discovered. Oh, right, Cindy. Bible study can be absolutely exciting. It's not a static thing, it's a dynamic thing. Dynamic because you've got the Holy Spirit in you, inspiring you and teaching you and leading you. So what's our first habit? How many want to be like Jesus? How many really want to grow? How many are happy with where they are? All right. Ready for the second habit? Second habit, prayer and worship. Is that something new? Of course not. Again, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The early church was not only devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to prayer And accompanying that was worship. You read down in the text, and they were all praising God, worshiping God. Worship is something that's not just limited to singing some songs. Worship is a lifestyle. The Apostle Paul again reminds us in Romans chapter 12 
to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, he says, is your spiritual service of worship. With all that I am and everything that I am. Is that a challenge to our life? Lord, I want you, I want you honored. I want you blessed. I, I want to worship you with how I, how I if you're a student, if you're, how I go to school and how I conduct my studies. If I'm an employer, God, I want to worship you with how I conduct myself as an employer, as an employee, as a wife, as a husband, as a parent. All those life arenas, how I recreate, how I use my leisure time. God, that my life, my life be an expression of worship to you. Is God worthy of that? Of course he is. Prayer and worship. You have to ask yourself, how, how is my life? How is my prayer life? How, can I, how should I characterize my prayer life and my attitude towards worshiping God? Is it growing and expanding? Is it fruitful? The Bible is filled with passages exhorting us to pray and exhorting us to worship God. One little short verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says, pray occasionally. No? What does he say? Pray continually. Pray continually. That means being a, being a continual attitude of acknowledging God. What does Proverbs 3 say? Acknowledge Him in some of your ways? All of your ways. In other words... Every single day. And I know that we're limited fallen human beings and we're forgetful and, you know, out of sight, out of mind, that sort of thing. We get busy and distracted. But as much as we can, bring ourselves back. That's why this has to become a habit. Acknowledging Him in all of my ways. Thanking Him for everything. God, thank you for this trial. Thank you for this difficulty. Thank you for this blessing. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my child. Thank you for my job. And we thank you that I'm breathing. Thank you for my relative degree of health. Thank you for saving me. Could we go on and on and on? See, all of that is acknowledging him. That is the whole concept of praying continually. Not living our life as if he's there and I'm here and there's this great gulf between us. There's this intimate connection between you and God, if you're a Christian. It's an inseparable connection. And that connection is made by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwelling in you. The psalmist says this, Psalm 95, verse 6. Come, let us bow down and worship. Don't you love that? Come, let us bow down. You can see him saying to the whole congregation, Come, let us bow down in worship and let's acknowledge our God. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. He is a good God. He is gracious and merciful. He loves us. What's our first habit we're developing? What's our second habit? Prayer and worship. You ready for the third habit? Fellowship. Fellowship. Again, I refer you to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Those first century Christians were devoted not only to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted also to what? The fellowship. Notice the... The, the word the is there, the definite article. What, they weren't just devoted to fellowship in general. They were devoted to the fellowship. That was their community. That was their spiritual family there in Jerusalem. They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to the fellowship. Implication for us, I think, it's fair to say, are you devoted to the fellowship? This is my church. I, I, I love this church. I grew up in this church. I got saved in this church. I spent half my life nearly in this church. Literally. I'm devoted to the fellowship. We live in an age of church shoppers and church hoppers where people are bouncing from church to church to church. They evidence no devotion to any particular fellowship. Are you in a habit 
of being invested and involved and devoted and committed to the fellowship. When I use the word fellowship, I'm, 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 it's a very, very technical term. Sometimes people misunderstand that word meaning fellowship is going to Disneyland with other Christians. Not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being invested. It's like you're devoted to the marriage. Not just marriage generally. I'm devoted to the marriage. Right, Kimberly? I'm devoted to the marriage Whatever, whatever the marriage does, whatever it looks like, I'm devoted, right, Madhu? I'm devoted to the marriage. Why? Because I'm first devoted to who? God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. The writer to the Hebrews says, Let us not give up meeting together. Just another way of saying... I'm devoted to the fellowship. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We all know that there are people who just kind of come and go, you know, breeze in, breeze out. And, well, you know, church, eh, it's optional. It's no big deal. No, it has to be a habit. If you were to grow, your devotion to the fellowship has to be a habit. He said, but let us encourage one another. How many would say that at some point in your, in your life, you, you have benefited by somebody else coming along and just encouraging you? They may not have said a word to you, just the fact their presence in your life. They've just come alongside and encouraged you. This is one of the great blessings of being devoted to the fellowship because you can encourage and in turn be encouraged. People are in your life. And with people in your life, it can get messy, can't it? We go, oh. But invariably, when you think about being involved, you think about going to a mini church or some Bible study or some small group, you think, oh, I'm tired. I just want to stay home. I and mean, all the excuses come up, don't they? <laughs> but when you go and as you leave, Almost invariably, you say or you think, I'm glad I went. I'm glad I went. Isn't that true? Because most of the time, it's an environment where there's encouragement. It's an opportunity for you to grow. Sure, there may be somebody who's a pain in the neck. Someone who who just... But it's an opportunity for you to grow in grace with that individual rather than just simply ignore them. How many of you love to be ignored? It's your favorite thing to do. No, of course not. Are you devoted to the fellowship? Ask yourself that question. What does that devotion look like? Is this becoming a habit? What's my first habit? What's my second habit? What's my third habit? Come on, some of you guys aren't playing the game with me here. (laughs) Incidentally, it's really good to see some fresh new faces down the front row here. (laughs) The back row people have moved up. (laughs) Get their pictures for their kids. All right, ready for habit number four? Habit number four. Service in ministry. Service in ministry. Again, you read the early chapters of the book of Acts. Read about that first century church. And they served one another. They ministered to one another. They shared with one another. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Works don't get you into heaven. Being a good person, as I said a moment ago, doesn't get you into heaven. Jesus gets you into heaven. And He gets you there because you trust Him, you believe Him. You put your life in His hands. 
We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. We are God's workmanship. Now notice this. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. To do good works. Now, just any old good work? No. The good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. When did you think that God prepared these good works for us to do? I think probably before he even created the world. If Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, if it was God's settled purpose and plan, then presumably he must also have created us and he created the good works for us to do. And it just awaits time for us to come into existence and to get saved. And now these works are there for us to do. Wow. There are things that God has designed specifically for you to do. Specifically for you. Now we look around, and typically human beings, we say, we see a need and we say, oh, somebody else will take care of that. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else will give. Somebody else will help. Somebody else will go. You don't know that. And especially with respect to the things of the kingdom. If, if, if your eyes are open to a need probably God has opened your eyes so you go meet the need. And if you don't get meet it, guess what? It probably isn't going to get met. Every single one of us are essential to the body of Christ. If you're peripheral to the church, if you just come and sit, you're not really invested, you're not really participating, you need to start participating. You need to discover where am I gifted spiritually and what spiritual responsibilities has God assigned to my life if I'm going to be a faithful steward of what He's entrusted to me. And if, in fact, I'm to grow. Am I making sense here? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, I referenced this earlier. Paul speaks of God's people being prepared for service. Now that service could be a formal service. You could go to Thailand and, 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 and be a, a, a Bible translator. You could, you could be a maybe God has called you to be a vocational pastor. Or maybe you are an avocational pastor. You have a gift of pastoring and you can pastor people. And people respond to the care that you show them. It could be formal, informal. But the question is, what is my spiritual gift? If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the body. He uses this metaphor of the body to describe the church. And the, and the, just like the body is made up of many parts, so the church is made up of many parts. And all these parts don't have the same function. But they're all essential to function together for the overall well-being and built, being built up the, of the body of Christ, the church. So again, I go back and I say, are you in a habit? Is it a habit to serve the body of Christ? Is it a habit to participate in the ministry of the body of Christ so that the body of Christ is being what? Built up. These are habits. These are crucial habits. What's your ministry? What's your ministry? Well, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't have a ministry. Find out. The best way to find out is look around. Say, God, open my eyes. Show me an area that needs, needs help. Show me where the body of Christ needs to be built up, where I can use the gifts that you built into me. Show me. And then go start doing it. Don't even wait to be asked. That would be a blessing to every pastor. Do you know that? Then I have to ask. Hey, we need help. <laughs> Number five. What's my first habit? What's my second habit? What's my third habit? What's my fourth habit? What's the third habit again? The fellowship. 
See how easy it is just to slide over that, uh, that article? The fellowship. Here comes our fifth one. Ready? The habit of giving. The habit of giving. Jesus laid down a general principle in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. That's a general principle. It works every single time. You give a smile, you get a smile, right? Give and it will be given. We call it the law of reciprocity. It's like the law of gravity. It works all the time. You can depend on it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul wrote this. But just as he's talking to the Corinthians who fancied themselves really spiritual people. And so he's kind of poking them a little bit and urging them on. And he says, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of what? Giving. See that you excel in this grace of giving, not just at Christmas time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, he gives the Corinthians some instruction. Now, Paul has been taking up an offering, a general offering, to help the persecuted believers of Jewish background who were in Jerusalem. And now they're suffering terrific persecution because of their faith. And so they're impoverished. And so Paul is going to take up a collection from all the Gentile churches. And in so doing, he is going to bring unity between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Isn't it a beautiful strategy? So he writes to the Corinthians about this offering. And he says to them, on the first day of each week. Does that sound like a habit? (laughs) On the first day of each week. Each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. In other words, he'll say in another place, as God has prospered you, set aside a certain amount. Now, a a typically accepted amount is what? 25%. That's exactly right. (laughs) Right? Isn't that right, Jay? 25%. Is 25%, is, is that something that would be acceptable to God? What do you think? Yes. Some of you are choking. <laughs> Set this aside, whatever amount it is, in, 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 in keeping with your income and, 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 and set aside for the offering. Giving must be a habit, just like Bible study. It must be a habit for us, just like fellowship, being devoted to the fellowship. It must be a habit, just like worship and prayer. It must be a habit, just like our service in our ministry. Did you know that fully 50% of Jesus' parables dealt with the issue of money? That ought to cause you to wonder, why is Jesus talking so much about money? Why 50% of his parables dealing with money? Why would, why would that be? Yeah, because money's always on our mind, huh? How many love money? Well, I mean, that's maybe too strong a term. How many like more money? Yeah, <laughs> yeah every hand better go up. <laughs> Truth be no, yeah, I could use some more money, right? Yeah. Money, man, man, without money, you can't function, right? Without money, we're out on the street. God means for us to have money. He's designed us to be able to do it. He's, the Bible says he's, he's even given us the ability to what? To generate a measure of wealth, each one of us. He knows we need it. He knows we want it. And so he talks about it. He talks about the proper use and disposition and stewardship of money. I've given you four key Bible words in your notes. Four key Bible words. And in terms of frequency of use in the Bible, 
Which one do you think is, is the least frequently referred to word in the Bible given those four words? What's the least one? Believe is the least. The word believe, you would, this blows my mind. The word believe is used only 272 times in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? What's the next least used word, do you think? Pray. 371 times. What's the next least used word? Love. Now you would think these words would be the preeminent words in the Bible. Love is used only 714 times. In comparison to the last word, the last word is what? Give, that's used 2,162 times. There's got to be some kind of statement there. Is God a giver? What's the, what's the premier verse? The kids, kids, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he, what, gave his one and only son. He gave his son. His most precious possession. Didn't give what was left over. Didn't kind of mill about heaven and find some angel in the corner who wasn't doing anything. Hey, come here, I'm going to use you. We would do that. We'd find something, you know, that's not useful to us that we could give. We call it a a white elephant. No, he gave his most precious son, the most precious possession he had, his own son, for people who hated him. I would even give a white elephant gift to someone who hated me, let alone my own son. Why does God want me to give? Why does God want me to give? What do you think? What did we say? What's our thesis this morning? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know there's seven benefits that accrue back to you when you become a giver? Seven benefits. First one. We talked about this. Giving makes me like God. Giving makes me like God. If it is a habit in my life, it makes me like God. Again, I, refer, I reference John 3.16. God gave. Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus gave grace gifts to the church. Gave. Secondly, giving draws me close to God. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is my attention going to be focused if I'm investing in the world and in real estate and the stock market? Where's my attention going to be focused? Yeah. I'm going to be watching the interest rates and this and that. And I'm not saying don't invest. I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. But if that's my focus... I'm missing something. If I'm investing with God, if I'm giving to His kingdom and His work, I'm supporting missionaries. I'm supporting my local church. I'm investing in the work of God. Do you think then you might, your focus might be more over here too? Absolutely. And in so doing, I'm drawn what? Closer to God. I'm drawn closer to what's close to His heart. His purpose. Number three, giving is the antidote to materialism. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that we live in a materialistic culture, right? Man, we are just... They can't make stuff fast enough for us to buy it. You get these things in the mail from all the phone companies? All the latest phones and gadgets and stuff. I I opened one yesterday. I don't have email. I don't own a computer. I am an absolute anachronism to this culture. People say, give me your email address. I said, I'd love to, but I don't have one. What? You don't have email? No. Do you have voicemail? No. 
I don't any of that stuff. If you want to talk to me, I'm right here. You can call me, write me a letter. <laughs> Verizon sent me a, one of those little things that you fold out. It's all glued together, you know, just multi-pages. And I did. I opened it yesterday. I said, my gosh, I, could, I wouldn't know what to do with all those buttons. I see these kids go, somebody actually tried to teach me how to do that. I do not have time to do that. What saves you time? I do not want to get arthritis of the thumbs. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Listen to Jesus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. It doesn't say don't save, doesn't say don't invest, it just says don't store up treasures. Don't let that be the focus of your life. Don't be so invested materially in this world. Because you're gonna you're gonna wake up one day and you'll be really sorry. He says, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, you have to have spiritual eyes and spiritual orientation. You have to really believe there is a place called heaven. You have to really believe that this life is just transient. It's just going to pass. You have to really believe that, that, that heaven is going to be a glorious, glorious place. I want to store up as much as I can in heaven. The more you accumulate here, the more insurance you have to have. Right, Ron? Ron's my insurance agent. Insurance agent. Listen to 1 Timothy. Timothy write, or Paul writes this to Timothy, verse 17, chapter 6. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Here today, gone tomorrow. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God will take care of you, provide, just trust them. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you want to take hold of the life that is truly life, learn to be a giver. Everybody says, well, you know, I want to have life, I want to have it to the max. Potty time. Now you're selling yourself short, you bought the lie. The Bible says life that is truly life is to learn to be a selfless person, to be a giving person. Number four, giving strengthens my faith. Giving strengthens my faith. Again, I reference Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Now, this is a command with a promise. It's a command with a promise. Listen. How will it be given to me? He goes on, he says, A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, we poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is a principle, this is a law. Now, that last section describes going to the marketplace. And if you are known as a generous person, question, we all know generous people, right? And, and, and when you're encountering a generous person, don't you have a little bit more favorable disposition toward that person? So here you are, you're known as a generous person. You come to the, to the, to the, the guy who sells the grain in the, in the, in the marketplace. You bring your grain sack. You're going to buy a full sack of grain. Because he knows who you are, because he knows that you're a generous person, he's going to be generous back to you because he's going to pour the grain in the sack and he's going to allow you to shake it, press it down, pour some more in so that it overflows into your lap. Isn't that cool? That's the principle simple principle we show our faith by our giving 
I love this. You can have the habit of Bible study. You can have a habit of worship and prayer. You can have a habit of, of being devoted to the fellowship. You can have a habit of serving. If you are missing the habit of giving, you are missing the preeminent way to demonstrate your faith. This is the most scary area for people to give. Whoo! Now, I know there's many of you who've, who've experienced God's faithfulness. You, you've, you've had lean times, but you said, you know what, Lord? I, I remember that woman that gave all that she had as an offering. I remember the widow that, 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 that gave the last bit of food and fed Elijah. I remember that you're trustworthy. This is probably the most critical habit to develop in a Christian's life. Because this is the one that shows your faith. I really believe. <laughs> Things are slim. I really believe. I am not going to neglect you, God. I trust you. And I know that you can make whatever I do abound to greater things. And as you give, you find your faith becoming more and more strengthened as it becomes a habit for your life. It's kind of like a muscle. If a muscle has become stronger, the muscle has to be exercised, doesn't it? Faith is the same thing. Faith must be exercised if it is to grow stronger. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. God, do I trust in you with all of my heart? Do I just, or do I just trust in you a little bit? How do I know I trust you with all my heart? Because I trust you with the money. I trust you with the money that you've given to me. I'm going to be a good steward over it. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding and try to figure it out. I remember one time when Julie and I were first married, we didn't have anything. We, were, we, were, we just had pennies. I remember one night sitting on the bed, counting literally pennies. And God just rebuked me and said, What are you doing? Don't you trust me? Yes, Lord. And He has blessed us and prospered our life. We have nothing to complain about. We've only learned to give and give and give and give more. He's exercised us, trained us, taught us. It's become a habit in our life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Honor the Lord from your wealth. Everybody has been given the ability to gain a measure of wealth. Honor Him with the first fruits of all your crops. In other words... Man, give him the best, the first fruits. He says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Number five, giving is an investment for eternity. It's an investment for eternity. If you believe it, if you're really a believer, if you're longing for heaven, Again, I referenced Matthew chapter 6. We just read it. Jesus said, don't store up your treasure here. Store it up where? In heaven. He says, Tim, says Timothy, tell the rich people, store it up in heaven. Realize it. You can't take it with you. But apparently you can send it on ahead. Number six. Giving blesses me in return. Giving blesses me in return. How many want to be blessed? Yeah, look at this. Proverbs 11.25 A generous man will prosper. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Isn't that beautiful? Proverbs 22.9 tells us A generous man himself will be blessed. Are you a generous person? Or are you miserly and stingy and fearful? Are you a generous person? Do you trust God? Has He set you free so that you can in turn be blessed and refreshed? 
Psalm 112, verse 5. Good will come to him who is generous. Wow. There it is. Good will come to him who is generous. The last benefit to accrue to me, number seven. Giving makes me happy. How many want to be happy? I want to be happy. Start giving. I love this verse. Acts 20, 35. It is more blessed or more happy to what? Give than to receive. How many parents do we have? When you're thinking about picking out just the right thing for that child, you just can hardly wait for him to get it. Are you happy to do it? You get the point? You're shopping. You're shopping for somebody that's really difficult. You think, oh, gosh, what am I going to get so-and-so? What am I going to get so-and-so? And then you stumble on the perfect thing. You go, <gasps> you can hardly wait for, for them to get it over there, right? You see the point? You're really blessed. You're happy by giving. And I love this verse. We'll close with this. First Chronicles 29.9. The people rejoiced. The people rejoiced. Why did they rejoice? For they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. Man, you talk, that's freedom right there. They'd given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. They, they could rejoice. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you again for your provision. Thank you for your love. Thank you for every good gift. Thank you, Lord, that you desire that we become more and more like you. You've given us instruction and direction. Simple habits to develop. And Lord, you enable us, you strengthen us to do that by your Spirit. Lord, open our eyes to the habit of being in the Bible and studying it. Open our eyes to the habit of prayer and worship. Being devoted to the fellowship. What that means. Open our eyes, Lord, to (coughs) the habit of of serving and ministry. And open our eyes to the habit of giving. Lord, that we may come more and more like you. Father, we thank you. We praise you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen, church.